Welcome to the State of Your Church webcast. I'm Carrie Newhoff, and this is my co-host, Nona Jones. I'm here. <laughs> it's good to see you, Carrie. It's great to see you, too. So it's so nice to be back in person again, isn't it? We've been on how many Zoom calls over I the last two know. years? I don't even know. I don't even know. It's been a, million. It's been a lot. <laughs> like you, like you as church leaders, it's like things are finally starting to move into some semblance of yes. normalcy, but the New world normalcy. has changed a lot. A lot. What's, yeah. uh, we're going to talk about uh, all the changes and try to figure out really um, what we can do about it, what oh, yeah. to measure, what not to measure. But what would you say the biggest change for you has been over the last couple of years? Oh my gosh, just the idea that we can't be together as we would want to be, you know? And I yeah. think that's been a huge challenge. But uh, yeah, we're starting to return to some sense of normalcy. So I'm, I'm glad about that. I'm glad about that. Yeah, exactly. And you've got young kids. And the I thing do. that I think about for young parents is this is a measurable percentage of their life that has mm -hmm. been spent in this. For me, it's a couple years of a much longer life, right? <laughs> but but you look at that with kids and it's, it's just got such an impact. And yeah. what does it mean for churches when attendance is not what it used to be? Uh, so we're going to look at that. We're going to talk to uh, some of the leading experts mm -hmm. about everything that's involved in that. And uh, really the question I think we're asking, Nona, is where can we go from here yeah. so that our churches can flourish? Because yeah. I think that's what we want in our hearts. We just have to figure out how to get there. Absolutely. And, and you know, Barna has been helping us to fill that gap, helping church leaders answer those questions for more than three decades and uh, has committed to continuing this work as we all head into an uncertain yet hopeful future. One of the key principles that Barna is elevating is the idea of measuring what matters. I love that, uh, measuring things. Yes. You know, I have yes. that part of my personality. And I've been a pastor for so many years. And if I'm really transparent, often even pre-COVID, we were kind of guessing about <laughs> uh, what whether we were doing was actually making a difference and helping people grow. We really didn't know. And we measured it through old metrics. Mm -hmm. And you think about attendance, giving, and baptism. They're all good things. I would suggest we continue to measure those things. Mm -hmm. But I think we all kind of know that that was never really enough and the pandemic really exposed that. So what we need is a common set of metrics for the church that will actually help us measure what matters. So the question is, what matters most, Nona? Well, I mean, that's what we're going to explore today. We're going to dive into what matters most mm -hmm. um, in what we're called to do and to be as pastors, how do we measure that effectively? And then how do those metrics help us make effective ministry plans and decisions that will make us go deeper and be more resilient disciples of Jesus? Uh, David Kinneman, who is CEO of Barna Group, is going to kick things off with some great thoughts on this subject. We're also going to hear from some pastors and leaders on why this conversation matters now more than ever. And we'll introduce you all to some resources that can change the way you think about and do ministry. I'm personally excited about what we're offering our audience today uh, because I think it's really gonna make a difference. Yeah. And throughout the next 90 minutes, we're gonna tell you about two things that I think, like you said, Nona, will fundamentally change the way pastors lead. Essentially, these two resources will help pastors know what matters and then measure what matters. First, you gotta figure out what to measure and then figure out how to measure it. And we're offering Barna Access Plus. It's a subscription where you can access everything Barna has produced when it comes to research and practical resources for ministry. Yeah, we'll also be talking about the Barna Church Pulse Assessment, which is a free assessment tool. Hear me, people. 
free 99. It's a free tool developed by Barna and Glue. It's going to help you measure uh, how your people are growing in what we're calling the five dimensions of flourishing. And this assessment will also give you key insights into how your church is doing organizationally and what we're calling the three dimensions of thriving. Now you can find out more about both of these great resources at stateofyourchurch.com. And please be sure to use the promo code SOYC30, State of Your Church 30, to get a special State of Your Church webcast discount on Barna Access Plus. I still can't believe that the Church Pulse assessment is free. And uh, yeah, it's you're going to see what a great tool that is. Uh, because here's what I think happens, is it takes the guesswork out of ministry. You can actually know how your people are doing. And again, it's free. So let's get started. And to do that properly, I think we should probably pray. This is actually really big and important stuff we're talking about. And we know a lot of you probably feel discouraged and defeated heading into uh, a time like this together. And I think we really need to ask the Lord to guide us and to lead us. So Nona, I would ask you if you would open us in prayer. I would love to, let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, so much has changed over the last couple of years, but one thing remains the same, God. You are sovereign. Uh, Lord, you see the end at the beginning. And we're so grateful to be able to gather together and discover how we can use these tools to measure what truly matters to you in order to make disciples of others. God, be with us today. Let us grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding so we can apply this to the ministry that you have blessed us to steward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nona. And uh, thanks to God and uh, to our incredible partners at Glue as well, who are powering a lot of what you see today. And now we'll head on over to David Kinneman. Well, on behalf of the team at Barna, let me welcome you to the webcast as well. It's so great to have you here. Um, today, we're actually launching a brand new project called State of Your Church. Uh, you can see the cover of the book here and uh, at stateofyourchurch.com. You can learn more, you can order it, or you can subscribe to Barn Access Plus. We're here to talk about the state of your church, measuring what matters in ministry. And as a leader, you may be feeling discouraged. You may be exhausted. Uh, so much has changed in the last couple of years. And we're here to encourage you. We want you to feel better equipped for ministry. We want to help connect you with the people you're serving. Uh, we're so excited to have you with us. Thank you for spending your time with us. And my intent over the next few minutes is to give you some perspective about what matters, how we think about ministry. This is not gonna be a, a long list of things to do, but it is, I hope, a helpful framework for you as you move forward in ministry. I think so many of us are wondering what's next. How do we really take advantage of all the change and all that God seems to be up to. And over the next few minutes, I'd like to describe what I think are five key shifts for a renewed church. Um, I've been doing this now uh, almost three decades, uh, since the mid 90s, I actually started working here at Barna Group. I've learned a lot. We've interviewed nearly 2 million people in that time. Uh, we've learned so much about the dynamics of, of what's happening in the church and spiritual growth and discipleship. I feel like I had 25 years to practice uh, social research for this last two years of COVID time. And so again, we wanna encourage you, we wanna give you a framework for what might be next. And uh, here's the first shift I'd like to propose to you is, is this, that a renewed church requires that Christian leaders are characterized by honest and objective evaluations of the impact that we are making. 
I think this last couple of years has shown us that uh, you know people that we thought were really a part of our church, they just they didn't show up, right? They, 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 we lost track of them. Some of the things we thought were working so well didn't seem to end up working as well as we expected. Uh, there's this little line in dating, uh, you know, in romantic relationships where she's just not that into you or he's just not that into you. Uh, and I think what we saw over the last couple of years is the people in your church, they're just not that into you. Uh, and so we recognize that, that this idea of evaluating how we grow people, how we do the work of ministry is so important. Let me show you a little bit of data here. Uh, we asked pastors, how effective is your church at the following, at reaching out to unchurched people and, and discipleship or spiritual formation? And we saw that <clears throat> just 13% of senior pastors said that they were very effective at outreach and only 14% said that they were very effective at discipleship. Huge percentages tell us that they're somewhat effective. And this is data before COVID. Um, we actually are seeing a lot of evidence that many pastors are actually telling us they're even less sure today about the effectiveness of their ministry. And so this first shift that we need to make towards a renewed church demands of us that we have more intentional and thoughtful efforts to, to, to evaluate the kind of difference we really intend to make through the power of the gospel. Uh, we can't mass produce disciples. We have to look, I think, at our methods and ministries. I've seen now with, with pastors that we're more ready than ever to look at these models and these methods and these mindsets of ministry. And I'm, I'm so encouraged by, um, by all the ways that I think we're open to what God might be doing next. It's sort of an Isaiah 43, 19 moment, isn't it? Uh, that God is, there's doing new things, something new is springing up and how can we lean into all that God has for us? So the second shift that I think we have uh, to consider is this, that a renewed church needs leaders who are in tune with the flourishing of the people that they are serving and discipling. We need to be in tune with the, 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 the kind of spiritual journeys that people take. It doesn't mean that they're growing just because they showed up or that they tuned into an online service. And so how can we do that? First, um, at Barna, we've been looking at this over the last two or three years, this idea of human flourishing in these five different dimensions. So you have faith as one dimension of human flourishing, uh, relationships, vocation, work life, uh, financial uh, well-being, uh, which will relate to generosity and other things, and then physical and emotional health, a large category here. And one of the fascinating things that we found during COVID was we asked this question. I'm so excited about what we found with this. We asked this question, how interested would you be if Christian churches in your community offered preaching and programs, things that we do pretty well, to achieve the following, spiritual growth and development, financial well-being, mental and emotional well-being, uh, vocational and career well-being, and relational well-being. Those are the five dimensions I just mentioned to you. And you'll notice that the green represents churched adults, and 90% of churched adults said they would be definitely or probably interested if a church offered that kind of preaching and program, programming. 75% financial well-being, 82% uh, mental and emotional well-being, 82% uh, relational well-being, 71% vocational and career well-being. Now, that's, that's what we might expect, that churchgoers are interested in that, and they're interested in the wide range of the church showing up in these five different areas. But notice that nearly half, and sometimes more than half, of unchurched adults, that's the, the blue circle, are also interested in those kinds of preaching and programming. What's fascinating to me is that people are actually interested in the church uh, showing up in all of these different areas of human flourishing, not just in the spiritual growth and development category. 
And so again, a great opportunity for us as we look to sort of minister to the whole person. Uh, you look at the, the, the tsunami of mental and emotional health challenges that I think our society is facing and will be facing in the months to come. And this is a great opportunity for us as church leaders to, to sort of renew our efforts to meet people across those different areas. So the, the third shift that we could consider is this, a renewed church requires contributors and participants in gospel mission, not just consumers of Christian content. Friends, I think part of the reason that we as Christian leaders, as pastors are so exhausted is we've been trying to do too much ourselves. Uh, God has uh, this, this beautiful expression of the priesthood of all believers, of the body of Christ. And, and I, I know we've been trying, I know there, there's great examples of, of people coming alongside professionals in ministry, but we need to do more of this. And I think there's a great mindset shift that we can have where we're all on mission with Jesus together, not just those who are paid to do the work. Let me give you some, I think some pretty fun and it's kind of interesting data. So we're gonna start here over on the left. 92% of senior pastors said that they prefer lay driven initiatives to new church programs. We, we, we as pastors say that would be great. And even a higher percentage, 96% tell us for my church to be healthy, lay people must take more responsibility, 96%. Now this is where I think the rubber meets the road. Only 9% of pastors say my church leadership is very good at developing new leaders. A huge gap between our intent and the practical realities of actually developing and deploying lay leaders. So again, the shift towards consumers and contributors, uh, from consumers to contributors, I should say, is so important. Um, let me show you a few other pieces of data that I think is really, really fascinating. First, how well would you say you know or understand your own giftings, abilities, or skills? 17% of U.S. adults say extremely well, 29% say very well. Practicing Christians are a little higher on that list. I think that Christians should be so much higher through the work of churches, that we are equipping people to know and understand their giftings, skills, and abilities. This uh, data actually really surprised me. Um, only 21% of adults said that they have taken an assessment, inventory, or test that was designed to help them better understand their giftings, abilities, or talents. Only, only one in five uh, adults in the country have ever taken that kind of test. And only 30%, only three in 10 practicing Christians tell us that they have done that. Again, I think this should be 100% of practicing Christians who are offered the kinds of insights into who they are, who they've been created to be uh, in Christ. And the church should be a wonderful place of, of deploying those gifts, of identifying and nurturing those gifts. Um, uh, here's another really, I think, fascinating set of data. Uh, I want to find a way to follow Jesus that connects with the broader culture I live in. Uh, and you can see practicing Christians at 44% say that's very true. 29% say that's mostly true. Uh, three in four practicing Christians are interested in their faith connecting to the broader uh, world that they live in. I'm looking to make a difference in the world. 44% of practicing Christians say they agree strong, completely agree. And 33% uh, said that they somewhat agree. Uh, the fact is we have uh, a laity, we have churchgoers, we have members of our church, we have people in our, in our communities who are active and want to be activated towards, uh, towards gospel mission and we have a great opportunity to do that. Uh, if we don't, we're gonna feel even more exhaustion. If we don't, we're gonna feel even uh, a, a greater sense of desperation and, and like, what are we doing? How can we continue on in this mission? So that's a, an important shift that we need to go from just giving people consuming a Christian content to a con contributing a gospel mission. That's the third shift we need to make.
Now this fourth, fourth shift that we need to make is this. A renewed church needs leaders who are self-aware about the condition of their hearts before the Lord. Self-aware about the condition of their hearts before the Lord. I think maybe more than anything over the last couple of years, I, I, I think I have learned uh, that more than anything else is like, how am I doing before God? What is the condition of my heart before God? And uh, here's a couple of data points that just kind of help us illustrate this. We were looking at the health of American pastors and we, we asked a range of different questions. Uh, we actually had those five dimensions of flourishing. We actually broke out a, a sort of uh, physical health and emotional health into two categories, which as you'll see, we've got sort of six categories of well-being. A healthy pastor had an excellent or good score for all six of those categories of well-being. And only one in three pastors uh, sort of scored high on those categories. 41% um, of pastors were average in terms of their health on those six categories, and a quarter of pastors were in, in the red zone. They were unhealthy uh, in those different areas. And again, maybe we just take a moment as a, a matter of self-reflection. Where are we? How are we doing? Uh, what are opportunities for us to check in with uh, the condition of our own hearts? Scripture gives us these incredible places. These, this, this, uh, the, God, the God of the universe himself is waiting for us uh, to, to open our hearts, to bear our hearts before him. And we, we've seen that the, the outcomes of, of this, this whole idea of how we're doing is so important. Uh, I think one of the most striking sets of findings that we had this last year uh, was looking at the percentage of pastors who've given real and serious consideration to quitting full-time ministry within the last year. 29% in January 2021, just a little under a year after the pandemic began, three in 10 said that they had given real and serious consideration to quitting. And then uh, in October of 2021, uh, 38%, two in every five pastors said that they had given real and serious consideration to quitting. Um, again, if you're feeling uh, discouraged, if you're feeling alone, uh, you're not alone, you're not crazy. This has been an incredibly challenging time to lead. And it's okay for us, in fact, it's the right thing for us to do to check in on the condition of our hearts, to see what God might be saying to our very souls as we try to lead forward. And so that, that brings me to my final point, which is this idea of, of a renewed church demands that we rely more on the Lord's power and presence than on our strategy or smarts. It demands that we look less to ourselves and more to the God of the universe who wants to do a, a great and mighty work in our time. He wants to renew in our day the things that he has done in the past, and he's just waiting on a church that's open and alive to him. I think of this uh, scripture, um, 1 Corinthians 2, verses four through five. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I'm convinced that more than ever, what the church needs is not simply just greater strategy and greater sort of sophistication and greater sort of more things to do. Listen, we're giving you lots of things to consider, but it's not just about the strategy. It's not just about like how well we execute the plan. We have to be open to God moving in us and among us in new ways. I'm just absolutely convinced of this, that this is, especially as I look at millennials and Generation Z, my own kids, uh, my nephews and nieces, like they're not gonna just show up because we did a better program. Uh, they're not gonna sort of like lean into more of Jesus simply because we just you know, had a cooler you know, opportunity for them. I really believe that what we need now more than ever 
is God to move among us. And that this, this is the, the, maybe the first and most important shift uh, towards a renewed church. So we need to ask the Lord to come and visit with us and be with us as we, as we move into this new era of leadership and, and the church. So here, as I finish up, I just wanna say this moment, I think provides an opportunity for us as church leaders to pioneer new ways of leading God's people and, and thinking about deeper pathways to discipling people. Um, I think if there was anything over the last two plus decades that I've learned in research is that uh, Christianity is a mile wide, but it is an inch deep in our society. Uh, we have a very Christianized society, uh, but we don't have a very Christ following uh, church. And there's great opportunities for us uh, to, to really lean into all that God has for us. So we'd ask you to consider the invitation of these five shifts. What would this mean for us in ministry? And as we think about that, I'd actually like you to consider these very practical questions uh, that might help us to sort of reflect on all that we've been thinking about together. So how are you doing, Pastor? How, how is the condition of your soul? What, what's going on? Uh, spend some time with the Holy Spirit in the, the days to come asking uh, for insights about the condition of our hearts and our souls. Uh, what is the state of your church? You know, we talk a lot about the state of the church. What is the state of your church? And I think we now have better tools, better capabilities, uh, opportunities now to, to understand that. How strong are the organizational dynamics of your church, the thriving of your church, the three dimensions of organizational and church thriving? How are people doing in your church? Are they flourishing? Uh, the five dimensions of flourishing that we just mentioned, now more than ever, we can, we can take a look at how people are doing in an anonymous and confidential way that actually helps us to, to build ministry in a more effective way, that, that just not whether they showed up, but, but how are they actually doing? And then, and then this final question, how do you know how your church is doing? By what means do we measure what matters in ministry? And uh, all of that information is actually contained in this brand new product called The State of Your Church, and you can order or subscribe at stateofyourchurch.com. Again, on behalf of all of us at Barna, it is our privilege to be able to share this kind of information, to give you perspective, to encourage you as leaders. You're not crazy, you're not alone. There is a way forward. Uh, God has big things in store for the church in the days ahead. Uh, and again, it's our privilege to be able to help think about and, and lean into this renewed church, this vision of what God is up to in our time today. With all that, let me uh, turn it back over to Carrie. Thanks so much, David. That was uh, enlightening and a little bit sobering, but also some hope in there as well. And uh, now we're going to transition to a conversation with four pastors from different parts of America to talk about how each of them are navigating this really challenging season. So we have Bishop Claude Alexander. He has served as a senior pastor of the Park Church in Charlotte, North Carolina for over 30 years. Next, we have Tara Beth Leach. She is a pastor at Christ Church of Oak Brook in the western suburbs of Chicago. Scott Sauls is with us. He's the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And finally, Jenny Clayville serves as National Community Church, serves at National Community Church as the weekend experience pastor at the Northern Virginia campus. To all of you, to each of you, welcome. And Claude, I want to start with you. So the question I have for you is what metrics of success have broken down for you over the last couple of years? Like how have they changed since COVID started? Well, the, the obvious one is how many people in the sanctuary, right? <laughs> yeah, no right? kidding, right. And um, going from that to how are the people Hmm. a significant shift, not how many, right. how are the people? Hmm. Yeah. Any other metrics of success that 
are no longer helpful for you? Well, budget. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean by that? What do you budget, mean by that? You, you know, the, the amount of money that, that comes in, uh-huh. right? That, that, that is one that is a double-edged sword that you really can't necessarily measure the health of a church uh-huh. by how much money is coming uh-huh. in, right? Right, right. So, and a lot of churches have seen that, that gap between attendance and giving. And what they've seen is attendance plummet yep. when they've been reopened or even online kind of waned a little bit. But then um, budget has stayed the same or gone above. Do you have a take on that? Well, what you're seeing is the difference between the muscle right. and the fat. Ooh. Wow. And so a lot of what we attributed to success uh, in previous times was fat <laughs> and not muscle. Okay, that's the price of admission right there. That's, uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Sure. Tara Beth, what are you seeing in terms of metrics? And feel free to take that personal metrics, congregational metrics, but what did you used to look to and what's kind of broken down for you? Yeah, I, I could echo so much of what Bishop Claude shared. Um, attendance and building and cash, the, the ABCs yeah, of the empire, yeah. right, um, have been something that all of us as church leaders have, have paid attention to for so long, um, and that is, it's breaking down. Um, we can't measure success by butts in the seat. Um, and even before the pandemic, um, I contend that we need to look at metrics very differently. Yeah, what do you think? Because I think we all said, okay, you know, attendance and giving, and we've said for years now, this is not news. Well, what is that really measuring? But how, how has that shifted for you as you see fewer people, I assume like most pastors, fewer people on the actual physical return right. to church? Um, why, why do you think that is such a, a non-factor? Or is it? Do you have to pay attention to it at some level? Well, at some level, we want to know who we're pastoring and who we're shepherding. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we want to be able to know who they are. And so the challenge is it's really difficult to pastor people through a screen. Huh. It's really difficult to pastor people through a camera. And so, of course, we're measuring at Christ Church how many people are engaged in online worship. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's difficult to know how they're doing emotionally. It's difficult to know where they are spiritually, how they're being formed. And so, um, so both online, well, I, online attendance is, is real challenging. Um, to, yeah. Scott, you've uh, written and talked a lot over the last couple of years about in-person, the value of in-person attendance versus online attendance. So for metrics for you, what's changing, what's broken down in your mind? Yeah, I mean, what's changing is I used to be an antagonist toward online worship, and now I'm a fan because <laughs> um, it, it really does help us stay in touch, at least in one direction. And I really appreciate what you said there, that, that it's hard to pastor uh, because um, the visibility is only one direction, right? And, and so we, we feel like we're ministering and serving into a vortex but I think the encouraging piece is that there are a lot of people on the other end that don't feel that way at all, that they're just thankful that they can stay connected to their community in this way. Um, but for us, the, the metrics have, um, have, I don't know if they've changed as much as they've been refined. Uh, the things that we've always said we value have become the things that we really value. Uh, one is 
am I healthy? Um, because I'm not, if I'm not healthy, I mean, we all know that, that the, as goes the key leader, so goes the team, so goes the whole organization, right? And so prioritizing my own health and emphasizing that with, um, with our team, which has translated into being more fully engaged uh, as, as a shepherd and as a, a person who is present and who shows up for the people on our team. I mean, Barna, of course, comes out with these, these very helpful concerning statistics that with the great resignation, the church actually beats the curve in terms of people who have left their jobs. Pe people have left their church jobs. And we want to make sure that our, our people are as encouraged as they can be as much as it depends on us. And then the other, the other part is, you know, to what's already been said, we're measuring quality of discipleship uh, more than we're measuring quantity of who shows up here or there. Uh, and I think that's a more effective way to do that, uh, even though it hurt my feelings when you started talking about fat, because I gained 15 pounds in the pandemic. <laughs> so a little self-conscious about that, but I'll work through it. Thank you, uh, Bishop. <laughs> Jenny, you know, DC has been a really interesting context because you guys have been in lockdown a little bit more than maybe the average area in America. You're multi-site, you've got a number of campuses, and you know, ministry at the best of times is challenging in DC. So what metrics have broken down for you and the team at NCC? Uh, everything. <laughs> everything, okay, that's fair. <laughs> so we had multiple locations before the pandemic and the pandemic hit and we all went online, right? Similar to yeah. everybody else and uh, trying to care for our people, our community that is spread out. It's not just DC, it's Maryland, it's you know Northern Virginia and it's trying to care for them but through a screen was def definitely difficult. And so, you know, we brought it all online. We all brought it all in one place. And then now as we're starting to come back out, we're realizing we did a all hands on deck to the central piece. And now we're trying to go back into the communities. And so metrics have completely changed because there are people that used to come every week or maybe every other week that are coming once a month or they're, they're just trying to take care of themselves. And so the metrics changes from numbers, cash, all of that stuff to, I think for us, the content of what's, so uh, the content meaning like, what's behind that email or what's behind that, hey, text from somebody. And so the metrics in that, I don't know how you measure that uh -huh. uh, because it is how they're doing. It's them reaching out, maybe not in a way that is totally understandable um, and just asking God for, you know, clarity and how to respond to everybody. So an open question, anybody can, can jump in on this one, but um, as you look to the future, what metrics are you most paying attention to? In other words, it's like, okay, we're really gonna drill down on this one and feel free to get granular. I mean, you know, what, what is it? Is it baptisms? Is it number of new people? Is it particular things online? Is it particular trends in person? What what are you really drilled down on now, knowing it may not lead anywhere too, right? We're all in the middle of this. Yeah, the things that I care about um, and the things that I think we ought to be measuring are the most challenging things to measure. Okay. And so one of the things I'm so profoundly concerned about is the witness of the church. There's so much conversation about our witness and it's decaying. And so on a very local level then, I want to measure our witness, which is hard to do. And so some of the ways that we can do that is, is what, are, what are our people doing um, in the community? 
Um, are we feeding the hungry? Are we caring for the marginalized? Are we um, lifting women and children? At, at Christ Church, we have five passions, for example. That we're, These are five things that we put our stake in the ground that we care about. And we're constantly talking about what are we doing locally and around the globe? Um, and, you know, when people come into the building, for example, we want them to know um, that we are passionate about these things, that money is going out, that people are going out, that we're ascending church. And so in some ways, these are difficult things to measure. We can, we can measure money going out. We can, we can measure how our people are engaged, um, which I think, um, I hope, um, leads to just a brighter witness amid a, a very weary world. If I can follow up on that, please. You know, the thing that has excited me during this time is that while we were shut down gathering, we weren't shut down serving. In fact, we became more forward facing during this time than we were prior to it. And so, one thing that I'm going to definitely be measuring is how much more forward facing. Uh-huh we will be in the future. Do we, do we have that same level of engagement, if not more so? It should not diminish, it should increase. I think the, the other thing is that, like you, we're multi-site, but there was this sense of unity during this time. And so when we return to these multiple how do you maintain that sense of oneness? Because no one was, I'm at this campus, I'm, we were all online, and we're all one. Same Bible studies, same. So how, how do we increase that sense of commonality, Communi- community? <laughs> yeah. Well, I have like 17 questions coming out of that, so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we have a one-on-one interview coming up after right, that people right, can right, access. Right. Okay, anything else on metrics you're tracking? Because I have one other big question I want to ask. I mean, just simply and very, very quickly, the same. We, we've, we've tried, because of that, you know, escalating giving component that you talked about, Carrie, uh, which was kind of alarming uh, in, a, in a positive way, um, uh, we, we tried to think through the question, what does it mean to serve during this time? What does it mean not to retreat, but to advance in terms of yeah. the outward face? And we were able to you know, plant a new congregation right before the pandemic, and then another one right in the middle of the pandemic with, with minority leadership, which has been you know, something that it's one of our stakes in the ground of yeah. you know, just the diversity of the kingdom and participating in that. But, but we're, we're asking all those questions now of what, is it, what does it mean to take it you know, from this level to, to this level as God allows and as God enables and provides, of course. Mm-hmm. But the other thing, I don't know if it's a metric, you can measure it, but, but I think one thing we've leaned into is the glory that can be found in loss, the mm-hmm. glory that can be found in weakness, that actually must be found in weakness. And, and, yeah. and, and in, in setback and anticlimax, these are all the conditions out of which the Bible was written and out of which the people of God were formed in both the Old and New Testaments. And so I think for our community, just one of the metrics is how, how are we handling our suffering? Are we singing it is well with my soul louder than we ever have before because suffering has been part of our formation, maybe in ways that, that it hadn't been before because of the pandemic that's been thrust upon us. And so I don't know how to measure that, but 
you can you can notice beauty when you see it, I guess. Um, and so we're hopeful that that continues. Again, we'll go, we'll drill down on this mm -hmm. a little bit later in some of the one-on-one -on -one conversations. But in about a minute each, which is not fair, <laughs> how how have you been personally during the pandemic, Jenny? I'm going to start with you and then uh, go around. Not great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just honestly, I think as pastors, we are human right we say that like oh duh but yeah we're human but then we are also been we've been st we're stewarding other people's lives and so we're hearing the heaviness of it and it's just it's been hard and it's you know we thought it was gonna we didn't know it was gonna be two years huh. and ongoing right and so um the the devastation that's hitting in the last two years i think we don't even know yet what it's going to look like in our congregations and our people and with really with us and so just not great um i definitely had to um you know you layer that with politics racial unrest just all of it just kind of came out all at once and it was uh for me something that i needed to make sure i went back to counseling had like around me and even with that that it would usually take care of it pretty well felt like it wasn't enough so i'm i think i'm climbing out of that but i'm definitely feeling residuals still just being very honest here so thank you scott how about for you yeah i'm gonna say it's been a mix uh, i i mean initially not well at all you know the for the first year i was angry sad you know lonely all the things and i think over time the perspective of what the scriptures actually say about going through hard seasons kicked into the degree that it that inserted some hope in the struggle. The struggle didn't go away. I mean, the struggle's still there, uh, but but the truth um, uh, has this way of, of bringing hope in the struggle. Um, but I also leaned in with a therapist, a counselor, and and you know tried to do the best I could to surround myself with optimists like you, uh, you know to. Because I'm kind of Try. the Enneagram Four, right? Yeah. And, and so I always, you know, see things like Nietzsche does, right? And so, <laughs> so I've, I've needed those kind of optimists in my life nihilism to is a good, speak good hope. Option so. right now. <laughs> I don't know about nihilism, but, but yeah. existentialism, maybe. But, existentialism. But, Thank but, you yeah. so much, Scott. Terveth. Well, if we're talking Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram Six, which means we've been ready for this pandemic our entire lives. <laughs> uh, we're just waiting for something uh, to happen, but. No, I, you know, the last two years have been um, the longest season of extreme loss for me, both personally and with my family. It's uh, something I've, I've talked and written a lot about. Um, and so that coupled with the pandemic, it's been a couple of years of a lot of lament and grief. Um, but today, uh, this season that I'm in right now, I feel grounded, mm -hmm. meaning I know what's true. I know what's real. I am aware of just the hardship that our world, that our country, and that the church, the Bride of Christ in North America is experiencing. And I go through seasons of lament and grief, um, but also with just being grounded to knowing what's true, I, I also feel a sense of, of heaviness with this mantle that we are called to carry as leaders yeah. into the future, especially the next 10, 20 years. Uh, and finally, I feel hopeful. Um, I remain a prisoner of hope. I believe Jesus uh, when he says that the gates of hell will not prevail. Um, and I believe that Jesus believes in us still. And yeah. so I remain hopeful. That's a good word. Claude. Wow. I, I just want to stop with her. I mean, uh -huh. I think uh, challenged, yeah. uh, freed, 
freed. I, I think certain boundaries just dropped. And it provided opportunity for a release of creativity yeah. and innovation. And so that is something that I embraced. As an introvert, oddly enough, um, I have enjoyed preaching to an empty place. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean yeah. it's, it's strange to say. Uh, you, would, you would think that um, you would say that you felt better preaching to a room full. Yeah. But I have felt equally comfortable preaching to a room empty. Mm. And that has been freeing yeah. for me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we have extended interviews because uh, sometimes in these panels you can just get started, but you've provided a lot of value and insight. Thanks for being so honest and transparent. We do actually have uh, extended interviews, some one-on-ones on Barna Access Plus. So to learn about that and other incredible Barna resources, when you subscribe to Access, you get all of that. And in the meantime, let's check out this video. The world is constantly changing. Our global issues, local concerns, and cultural pressures can quickly overwhelm us. How then can we keep up? What should we focus on? As a leader, serving your people well starts by understanding and connecting with them. But the speed at which culture changes and the ever-growing list of leadership responsibilities can easily leave you feeling uninformed and behind the times. That's why Barna has created a new library of research and data-informed insights that you can trust. It's called Barna Access Plus. This premium content built on the Glue platform provides pastors and spiritual influencers with credible knowledge, reliable data, and timely cultural insights, enabling them to lead confidently in a complex and changing culture. You'll find a growing library of interactive resources from reports, infographics, and field guides, to courses, live interactive workshops, expert interviews, and much more. Easily transform these insights into action with informative articles, data visualization, and relevant videos to equip your team and enhance your teaching. Save time and strengthen your message with this easy-to-use tool. Access Plus is the most affordable way to have Barna Research available at your fingertips. This innovative subscription unlocks trusted, practical leadership tools to stay current on the trends and topics that impact your ministry. Faith and culture change is inevitable, but it shouldn't keep you from staying prepared. Get Access Plus to see clearly, lead confidently, and minister effectively. Sign up for Barna Access Plus today. Wow, Barna Access looks amazing. Listen, don't forget to head over to stateofyourchurch.com and use our special promo code to get your copy at SOYC30. Now listen, everyone, I am so excited for this next conversation. I have with me Dr. Ed Stetzer. He is professor and dean at Wheaton College. He also serves as executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Dr. Stetzer, how are you doing? Great, great. So good to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's good to see you. It's good to be with important you. Important conversations we're Very having. Very important conversation. I want to start here. So uh, you mentioned something about a great sort. Yeah. You've done some research on this, and I would love for you to share 
share with our audience, what exactly is the Great Sort? What are its implications for the church and local pastors? Yeah, we're in a really tumultuous and turbulent time. You know, it's a cultural convulsion, unlike anything we've seen. You know, we talk about the pandemic, we talk about COVID, but there's actually a lot more going on in our culture and pastors mm -hmm. and leaders are feeling it in a way they've probably never felt it before. Oh, now, sure. could be in the 60s, there was a time of great turbulence and tumult at late 1800s. Yeah. So it seems that every 60 years, the West goes through something like this cultural convulsion. One of the things we've seen happen in this time, in our season, really in the time we're stewarding, is the great sort. And yeah. I wrote about this in, a, in an article for Outreach Magazine and kind of illustrated that what seems to be happening in a way that hasn't happened in my or your lifetime, is that people are, well, they're wanting their views to be aligned better ideologically at church. Mm. Or maybe 10 years ago, we'd say, look, we've got people of different backgrounds, races, yeah. ethnicities, political parties, mm -hmm. but we're all together. The gospel unites us mm. and the great sort. And I don't think it should surprise us. I mean, keep in mind how much influence um, cable news and social media have. People are being discipled by their cable news choices. Sure. They're being spiritually shaped by their social media feed. And almost everybody who's watching has had probably some people in their church say, you're not talking enough about this mm. or you're talking too much about that mm -hmm. and sort themselves out. It could have been how the church responded to COVID, uh, racial <laughs> unrest. It could have been a hundred different things, but pastors all around the country, pastors and staff are telling me, we've seen people leave our church because they wanted us to be something we're not yeah. when we hadn't really changed. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really hard time to lead because mm -hmm. Uh, you know, you have to sort of say, where where do you stand on certain things? And, yeah. and where are you going as a congregation? We're finding that not everyone's going with us. We're finding that the strength of our discipleship was maybe not as strong a hold as we expected. Again, they were being shaped elsewhere. And now they're looking sometimes, maybe they're not leaving the faith. Maybe some are walking away from church. But some are just going to churches that they think align better with them ideologically. And that's a shift that we haven't seen probably in the last, probably since the 60s. Yeah, well, so with, with this idea, this question of, of measuring what matters, yeah. it strikes me that uh, what matters tends to matter to you either ideologically or theologically. True. Now, have you seen how this has shown up and how pastors are defining success in their ministry, how they're measuring success based on the sort that's yeah. been taking place? Part of it. So I, I think one of the things that's happening is, is that um, certain segments of your church mm -hmm. have actually gotten more involved in the last two years. Mm -hmm. uh, and you see that because most churches haven't collapsed financially. They haven't collapsed sure. in their volunteer base, which could have been happening at the beginning of 2020 or you know spring 2020. We were all pretty nervous. The numbers really dived, but it seems by summertime and ongoing. So for a lot of churches, they're at or above their 2019 giving and serving. Mm -hmm. What seems to have happened is, is that there's been a, um, a sense that the, the congregation is smaller, not by the number of committed people. Mm -hmm. the, the way I put it is, is the front of the church. If you think of church traditions where the most involved sit up front, that's not true in all traditions. Oh, yeah. But the front of the church has gotten more involved. The front third, I would often say, you know, looking across the, the whole, the middle third is sort of hanging on, been buffeted around some by the great sword, unsure what the future holds. Mm -hmm. But the back third, now that, remember the back third is people who come irregularly and infrequently. They were already loosely connected. Yeah. It seems that the back third has mostly, if not completely disconnected. So depending on where you are in North America, you know, the, the people are gathering back at different levels when you get together with mm -hmm. pastors. It's, you know, what percent are you back? And, and mm -hmm. it's very different in New York City where I've been serving as an interim pastor to where it is in Texas, where, where you know, you might go and, and, and visit or, or that might be for you just a different experience. So what we're seeing is everyone's talking about what percent they're back. What seems to happen is two kinds of people have left. First, people who disagree the direction of the church 
in a way we haven't seen before. And second, loosely connected people have become mostly, if not completely disconnected. That's a challenge there for evangelism because most of our evangelism, just historically, has come from those people who maybe come Christmas and Easter mm -hmm. and three or four times a year otherwise. We'd plan Christmas activities or Easter services mm -hmm. to share the good news of the gospel with them so they can respond by grace and through faith. Well, you know, because they might be loosely involved. Well, those people who used to be loosely connected are now disconnected. So the evangelistic challenge is before us. I think we've got to think differently about metrics. Yeah. I'd love to see the front third who got more involved, gave more, served more. I mean, that's what we've been praying for for decades is yeah. church on mission. You know, and the moment we're in doesn't pause the mission we're on. So we wanted people to get more involved. The front third did. Now we've got to help maybe get the front third to help us mobilize the second third so we can together go reach the missing third, which is a whole lot of people. It's not just mm -hmm. on a given Sunday, it's not just the third because they're in and out. Yep. We got to go reach them and ultimately the world. I think we're at a key moment in the life of the church. And I think metrics will help us to say, you know, where are we? Yeah. We often say facts are our friends. Mm -hmm. Well, we need some facts and the facts and the fact matrix has shifted in the last few years. So. You know, a good leader helps determine reality. What's our reality and where are we going from here? That's a key question and metrics help us with that. Mm, that's good. A good leader helps us determine our reality. I want to take that and zoom out a little yeah. bit to the denominational yes. level mm -hmm. and to the institutional level. So I think local churches, local pastors have experienced this, this shift sure. in this sort for sure, but I think denominations have as right. well. And I guess my question is, um, why is it important for denominations, institutions to study this moment um, to make sure that they understand what matters when it comes to metrics? Good. My, you know, my field is missions. I'm a missiologist. So my job is to study and understand and engage culture. And I think denominations and networks, increasingly people are forming networks that are denomination-like, but not quite denominations. I think ultimately the churches and leaders are asking, what should we be thinking about? Are there common metrics? Are there, are there ideas that we should be working towards? I think a lot of people feel a little bit lost in the wilderness right now is this is like nothing we expected before, nothing we experienced before. Mm -hmm. So I think denominations and networks that are going to be resourcing their church as well will help them and will challenge them. You know, the writer of Hebrews says to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Mm -hmm. You know, when we set a metric goal, this is what we'd like to be, this is who we'd like to be, yeah. it can actually mobilize people towards that. True. So what are we seeing? Are we seeing lives changed by the power of the gospel? People mm -hmm. being, being transformed, becoming followers of Jesus. Are they growing in that? Are they joining Jesus on mission. You know, John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. So how are networks and denominations setting a vision that mm -hmm. churches can participate in where they would say, we want God's people to join Jesus on mission in the midst of a very broken and tumultuous time? Because historically, in these broken and tumultuous times, that's often when we see God work in spectacular and particular mm -hmm. ways and I'm among those who's praying to see that in the coming months and years ahead. Amen. No, that's good. Um, I'm curious if you can speak to kind of the implications of uh, when denominations are not uh, taking into account these metrics yeah. and, and kind of how it's showing up um, because there is not a common set of metrics. I think you, yeah. you pointed out some very consequential um, metrics to measure, and yet I don't know that everyone is doing that. Oh, for so, sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, one of the phrases I like to use, I'm not new, unique with me, what we celebrate, we become. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think as denominations and networks, local churches, I think we need to celebrate the kind of metrics that make sense. Now, now metrics aren't the goal, right? The, the advance of the gospel, the good mm -hmm. news being proclaimed, people being changed, people walking in new life in Christ, uh, people walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are our goals. Sure. Uh, 
but these are tools. So metrics help us answer the question, am I actually walking, accomplishing? Am I stewarding well? You know, it's interesting, mm -hmm. you know, stewardship, we only think in terms sometimes of money, but we're stewarding the congregations that we serve. If you're a denomination or a network leader, if you're a pastor or a staff member, you're stewarding lives of people. And so pointing them and provoking them to love and good deeds and helping to encourage them to thought with thought through metrics. Again, metrics only help us if they're the right metrics. Yep. We've even heard some of the conversation today. We had to change metrics, but we need the right metrics. Yeah. So those tools help us get pressing forward to those goals. Right now in a tumultuous and turbulent time, having something that we're working towards actually makes a lot of sense. Having something mm -hmm. that we're saying, this is where we're pressing forward, I think will help us to make wise stewarded choices. I think common metrics are gonna be key for networks, denominations, churches, and more. This is where we're going and why is gonna be a key phrase in the future. I, I would I love that and I wanna double click into that a little bit because I think I love you know that the, you say the double click. That's you know, when you work in tech, you yeah, just that's all you I yeah. Understand. So um <laughs> but I, I wanna I wanna do that because yeah. I think you know the the free resources that Barna and Glue yeah. have provided are wonderful yeah. and yet there are so many church leaders who are not accustomed sure. to using data and using metrics. Yeah. Um, I think as someone who this is like what you live and breathe. Could you maybe speak to those pastors that have a little bit of hesitation yeah. around where to even start when it comes to understanding and applying metrics? No, it's a super. Lead? It's a super good question, and partly the reason people push away from some metrics yeah. is they're they don't want to be driven by worldly standards. Mm. And I would say this comes where what are your actual metrics? I actually think that simply saying the number of people who sit and the number of, and the amount that they give those are pretty like top level metrics yeah. that do kind of reflect the kind of values that we might find in the world. Mm -hmm. So maybe change your metrics to, well, people coming to faith in Christ. Maybe yeah. not just this, I'm just giving some examples, how people are living on mission in their community, how, yeah. how people are, are acknowledging and, and working towards the challenges in their context as mm -hmm. ambassadors of Christ, showing and sharing the love of Jesus in the midst of a broken and hurting world. So I think to me, it's not as much as our metrics bad, though sometimes people have to be persuaded to work towards that. I'm not. You know, you don't want to build, sometimes we get methodological yeah. and metric mania. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about having some biblically driven, right, discerning goals that are life transformation and community transformation and church transformation, and then having some tools, metrics and tools to help us understand, are we making progress towards those goals? I think that yeah. honors the Lord and stewards our churches, our denominations and our networks well. Well, you know, you, you triggered a thought, um, you know, it's funny because Sometimes we do think that metrics are this like worldly framework, sure, but sure. in reality, metrics are used throughout the Bible all the time. I was thinking about in uh, the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, it says 120 disciples were gathered in this room, sure. but they weren't just attending, they were praying and yeah. they were praising God. Yeah. There was something happening yeah. there, so metrics do matter. Um, I think we have about 20 seconds. Yeah. I'd love for you to share any closing thoughts that sure. you have that you'd love to give to people. You know, it's a turbulent, tumultuous time midst of a cultural convulsion, people sorting themselves, people engaging and re-engaging in different ways. But I'm not discouraged, partly, I mean, I've read the end of the book, Jesus wins. Amen. So that's always gonna be encouraging to me. But in the midst of times of turbulent and tumult, yeah. when God's people lean into who they are in Christ, seek to live on mission in their context, the world's impacted. We've seen historically, 
uh, movements break out following or in the midst of times of cultural, cultural tumult. So let's not be discouraged. Let's lean in, build reservoirs of resilience Amen. and walk this mission together. Amen. Ed, thank you so thank much. You. Listen, if you want to catch the extended interview with him, please make sure that you access it uh, after this event and you can head over to stateofyourchurch.com. Remember to use that promo code SOYC30. And I want you to also stay tuned. Join us for a video that's going to cover the assessment tool so you can learn more. Stay right there. Hi, my name is Eric Parks. I've been a pastor for 20 years, and I'm so excited to tell you about the Barna Church Pulse and why I think it's going to change the way we all do ministry for the better. So in the next few minutes, I want to tell you what it is, what it does, how it works, what it measures, and what it means for you as a pastor. So what is the Barna Church Pulse? Well, the Barna Church Pulse is a free assessment, simple, but one of a kind. After conducting over 35 years of research on trends and cultural perceptions facing the collective church, this groundbreaking user-friendly tool, it was created for pastors like you and me to see the state of our church and discover actionable next steps and resources that can help us grow our people and our churches. The Barnard Church Pulse was created to help us look beyond traditional metrics of success, things like attendance and giving and volunteerism, that while are important, don't always tell the whole story. So how does that work? Well, the Church Pulse is a really easy to use assessment that takes most people in your church less than five minutes to complete. They can take it on a phone or a computer. It's anonymous and it's free, but it really is powerful. The Barna Church Pulse comes with everything you need to get started. They have tools that make it easy for you. Steps on how to choose the best method or methods for sharing the Church Pulse with your congregation. Talking points for how to get your church excited about lending their voice to the Barna Church Pulse. And if you still have questions about launching the Barna Church Pulse in your church, we've compiled an extensive library of resources, all available to you totally free anytime you want to look at them. Now, after completing the assessment, each congregant in your church will see a basic summary of areas that they have in their lives, strengths, things that they can grow in based on the answers and how they answered compared to national results. You have the option of customizing a few questions throughout the assessment as well as next steps for everyone in your church, such as directing them to a church website or to a social networking page after they complete the assessment or finding out a few things you might want to know about your church. So what does it measure? Well, by having your church participate in this assessment, you'll be equipped with comprehensive insights into the spiritual and organizational health of your church so that you can really effectively lead your people towards transformational growth. The church pulse goes deeper, examining the strengths of someone's relationship, the support they maintain in their vocation, and it takes a look at their spiritual, physical, financial health. We call this the five areas of personal flourishing. Now remember, this is anonymous data, but it rolls up in aggregate for you to see at the church leader level how your people are doing. Are they flourishing? You're also going to get a picture of organizational health, areas that you can grow in, and also areas that you are strong in. We call this the 10 areas of organizational thriving. And all of this comes to you through an interactive dashboard. All of it, it's free, forever. The Barna Church Pulse doesn't just offer assessment results. Through a premium content offering, 
you'll be matched with powerful content that matches to your church and your areas of need and growth. The Barna Church Pulse will be an invaluable tool to you as a pastor as you lead your church to real and sustained health and personal growth. Barna's inviting every church in America to measure what matters, to see, to understand, and to effectively lead their people in church toward personal flourishing and organizational thriving. Won't you join this movement today? Well, hey again, everyone. I am really excited for this next conversation because speaking of the Church Pulse Assessment, I'm joined today by Savannah Kimberlin and Dr. Peter Larson. Savannah is on the Barna team. She serves as the Director of Research Solutions, and Peter is the Director of Assessments at GLUE. So excited to have you guys. Let's, let's just dive right in. So tell us what went into developing the assessment. Um, specifically, what's some of the science behind it and why can people trust it? And Peter, I'd love right. to start with you. Right. Yeah, well, the development process was really kind of two-pronged. On one hand, Glue was working really hard on the technology to make it easy for churches to assess a whole congregation without much friction. So there's that. On, on the content side, though, boy, it was, a, it was a powerful process. We started by reviewing a lot of what has been done out there. Books, articles, research, other assessments, getting a, a lay of the land. Uh, and then we pulled together a team of collaborators. Uh, we really wanted a lot of voices speaking into this, representing it, uh, being able to stack hands around it. Once we had developed a model that we all thought sounded um, and felt right and research informed, we began to generate a bunch of the questions and some drafts of this tool that we then took out and we tested that with over 20 churches. We tested it with representative uh, samples of, of research panels around the country. And then we were able to look at that data and start to analyze it and see what was working, what needed to be refined and, and tweaked. Um, so we, we did a second round. And then we really finished off by consulting with some of the leading experts. Yes. So, gosh, what even hearing you say all of that, what a long road. It was. The development of it was a process. Was such a long road. So, two experts in particular that we had the chance to work with, Dr. Tyler Vanderweel from the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard and Dr. Nancy Lewis, who works with Reveal. And so bringing them in for that refinement process of taking all that we had learned and all the data that we had collected and narrowing our focus and saying, okay, we need to make a tool that's really efficient. Mm -hmm. We need to take a tool that's not, we need to make a tool that's not gonna be too heavy of a lift for a church. And so that refinement process led us to what ultimately became the Church Pulse, which was measuring five dimensions of flourishing and then three dimensions of thriving. I'd love you to, for you to just take a moment to explain um, what is this assessment even aimed at doing? Like what's, what's kind of the end goal, if you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, so we've been talking a lot about how we want to stretch ourselves as churches and as leaders to measure more than just what they say at GLUE, butts, budgets, and baptisms, right? We want to stretch ourselves and to think differently, especially as we enter into a post-pandemic world. What does it look like to measure more than just that? And so, in the Church Pulse, we aim to accomplish just that and to stretch ourselves and measure things like how are people's relationships? Are people comfortable 
doing evangelism? Um, how are people doing financially? Do they, do they worry about their finances to the point where it's consuming them? Things like that, that can lead us to better understand the people that we're serving so that we can get strategic even with our discipleship or with um, any sort of effort that we're looking to accomplish as a church to better our people and to make them more whole and, and, and complete. Oh, this is good. Anything you'd like to add to that, Peter? Yeah, yeah. you know, at Glue, we really believe that um, pastors need to know their people. And so, you know, these, these assessments, these pulses are really designed to help them know where their people are at. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they experiencing? Um, and, and we're trying to do that with common metrics. You know, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of survey tools out there, but if every church is making up their own survey and changing that every year, it gets really hard to track and compare yourself to how are we against where we were last year or how do we compare to other churches like us nationwide. So, so by using these, these common metrics of good question sets created by experts, churches are starting to use a really powerful tool set at that point. And the other thing we really believe in is making things as short and efficient as possible. So, you know, if you can get 80% of your congregants to answer, you know, these, these shorter pulses, that's powerful. You know, you might get 10% of them to answer a really long in-depth survey, but that doesn't tell us what, what we need. So these pulses are, are, are quick, they're efficient, they're created by experts. And we didn't stop with just the church pulse. We've, we've actually created uh, a, an even shorter version called the people pulse, which just focuses in on those dimensions of human flourishing. And then we're coming out now with a generosity pulse that looks at the giving practices of folks, um, a mental health pulse that looks at the mental well-being of, of congregants, and then finally a prayer pulse. And with each of those, they're really quick they give you a powerful readout on where people are at and then connect them to, to next steps, both for the church and the congregants. I love that this is so much more than an Instagram poll or a survey monkey somebody whipped together in five minutes, but it's got integrity, research, uh, and, and it's gonna be reliable for pastors. So taking the guesswork out. Well, we have a couple of people we're gonna connect with who weren't able to join us in studio today. Uh, the first one I know a lot of you know, Bobby Grunwald is the pastor of innovation at Life Church. He is also the founder of Uversion and Church Online. Bobby, we're so glad to have you with us today. Thanks, Carrie and Nun. It's good to be with you. So, Bobby, we've been talking about the Church Pulse assessment that Barna and Glue have co-developed to help us measure what matters. I'd love to talk big picture for a second. So as you think about the impact of the church on the culture and you think about uh, what the church needs to have in front of it to really be able to see what matters, uh, both digitally and in person, um, I'd love your take on that. Yeah, I think um, this is a really critical time for pastors and church leaders because more than ever before, we now have um, really a challenge being able to decipher how effective our ministries are just because of this transition of people moving back and forth between physical spaces and digital spaces, this sort of hybrid reality that we're in. I think people realized during the pandemic that metrics are one of kind of the, 
the things that we thought we had sort of figured out, or many pastors, I think, felt like, you know, I have a handle based on what my attendance or my giving or my serving metrics look like. And then all of a sudden, when people moved into a digital space, they had a new metric. But what we really couldn't understand is the relationship between those, those spaces and those metrics. And so I think it's really important right now that we begin to work really hard collectively to develop this common set of metrics that allow us to have a better picture of where our congregation is and what's happening in their lives to be able to understand what effective ministry looks like during this time. So we're certainly looking at that and working that. I'm excited that Barna and Glue are also investing in this because I think it's a really, really important thing for churches and ministries at this particular time, at this particular juncture. Bobby, great insight as always. Thanks for joining us. Carrie, Nona, thank you so much. It, it's been great being with you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Bobby. We're so grateful for you. And I am excited about this next conversation where we're going to be joined by Randy Frazee. He is the senior pastor of Westside Family Church in Kansas City. He's going to be joining us by video. You may know him as the author of the story and several other books. And so Randy, welcome. We are so glad to have you. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Nona, thanks for inviting me into this important conversation. Oh, thanks for, for making the time. So uh, your church uses the Church Pulse Assessment Tool, and uh, we would love your insight on how you've been able to use it to understand the effectiveness of your ministry. Yes, I'm a big fan of Church Pulse, and I'll tell you why. I think one of the best ways to really serve someone is to take the time to listen to them and to find out where they are at and then to honor them by taking that personal information they've given you and design your ministry priorities and strategies around it to help them close the gap on their desire to flourish. I'll give you an example from a couple years ago. Uh, we discovered that our congregation most struggled uh, with financial flourishing of the five uh, dimensions of human flourishing. And as we probed it a little deeper, we discovered that the people in our church, at least, they made money, but they were spending all of it. Uh, it really came down to really a margin issue. And so we took that information and it became our primary focus to design strategies and plans to really help close that gap. And so what we did is we designed a 10-week teaching series on Sunday morning where we would take five weeks and talk about uh, finances from a biblical perspective, and then we would take five weeks and talk about margin and time from a biblical perspective, and we entitled the series Slaying the Margin Monster. And in addition to that, for our engagement strategy, we partnered with Dave Ramsey's organization and uh, to encourage and challenge all of our adults, 80% of our adults, uh, 16 and up, to go through Financial Peace University during that same 10-week period. We also talked to some other churches and discovered that they were experiencing similar things with their members. And so at the end of the day, we had 110 churches that engaged in this experience together during the same 10 weeks. After the 10 weeks, this is the report we received. 9,200 credit cards were cut up, $4.7 million of cash was saved, $17.7 .7 million of debt was reduced, and 84% of the couples said they were having better conversations about finances, which is really the most important statistic of all because we know that in just about every study, they list trouble with finances as being one of the main predictors and causes of divorce. 
And so that was a really a wonderful experience. And then we didn't know it, but three months later, COVID hit. And people said, began to call me a prophet. And I reminded them that I'm a, a leader of a nonprofit organization. Yeah, but it was really great to see the outcome for people's life. And I think this is just the result of taking the time to listen and find out where people are at in their life and then doing something about it. Wow, Randy, that is just a really powerful and concrete example of how metrics can actually make impact. Um, I would love for you to take a moment, though, to speak to those pastors who they hear that story and they're thinking, yeah, we want to do this, but man, that's going to be too hard. It's ins insurmountable. We don't have the resources. We don't have the time. What would you say to those leaders? Yes, as a matter of fact, we just did church polls on the first Sunday uh, morning of uh, this year. We uh, did it actually in the worship service experience. Uh, I, I gave a, a lesson around it, and then uh, for eight minutes in the service, we invited the people to take the survey right there in the service. We put up a QR code, which very most people are familiar with. When you go into a restaurant these days, you, you take a, your camera and put it over the QR code, and up pops the menu. Well, the same thing happened here. We put it on the screen, up popped the survey, and in eight minutes, the congregation members were able to take it. And the cool thing about the survey is that it gives the individual immediate feedback on where they're at in the five dimensions of human flourishing. So kind of a little dopamine hit for them, if you would. And we got 1,619 responses on that Sunday, which is all the responses we need to get a good read on where our local congregation is at. Now, uh, next month, we're going to get a, a full debrief on the survey and where it uh, came out. And we will then sit down and identify one to three top areas that most represents where our congregation's at and then design teaching strategies as well as engagement strategies around that to help our local people. Uh, but one of the early things that we saw already, which is really pretty cool from two years ago, is that the number one area of the five that our congregation is currently flourishing in the most is in their area of finances. And we thought that was a pretty cool result. So for us, it was an eight minute um, transaction and it led us into an enormous amount of information that helps us to shepherd and disciple our congregation. I guess the bigger question for me is, what's the alternative? Am I, am I supposed to just guess where our people are at? Uh, is it, it sounds to me that's more like a ready, uh, fire, aim sort of strategy or throwing darts in the middle of the dark, you know, hoping that you'll hit the bullseye. For me, I think this is an efficient strategy with a lot better outcome. And for me personally, maybe just speaking for myself, I really think it's my responsibility as a pastor uh, to know where our people are at to best minister to them. Well, thank you so much, Randy. Of course, we're grateful for Bobby as well and Savannah and Dr. Larson. Thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing why the Church Pulse really does matter to what we're trying to do in ministry. The thing that I keep thinking about is that this is actually a free resource. And I remember the first time a few years ago, uh, I sat down with David and the folks at Glue, Kinnaman that is, to figure out what the Church Pulse assessment was. I'm like, my goodness, this is like social research in your congregation. And it's free. I hope you caught that part. It's free. So you can go to stateofyourchurch.com 
to get access to the free Church Pulse Assessment. But that probably leaves you with a question like, okay, what do we do next? And that's where Barna Access comes in. So I would encourage you to also head on over to Barna Access. Uh, again, you can access that through stateofyourchurch.com. Go to Barna Access Plus. That'll have all the resources, some next steps for you. And Nona, we've uh, got a little bit coming up too. We're going to talk uh, a little bit. I've got an interview with Andy Stanley to close things out in a little while. I got a lot of ground to cover with Andy, but we also want to talk just about the state of the pastor's health. Yeah. Like this has been a grind. You've heard that a thousand oh, yeah. times over. I'm going to talk to Andy about that a little bit and just the, the stat that so many people want to pack it in. So we'll go there. Uh, but next we have David Kinneman and Glenn Packiam who are going to talk about the state of a pastor's soul. I'm here now with Glenn Packham, who is a friend. He's a pastor in Colorado, and uh, so grateful to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, David. Great to be with you today. Yeah. Um, he's the author of this brand new book called The Resilient Pastor, and he is a senior fellow at Barna Group. We're gonna be talking about this brand new study and uh, the research that went into this book, and we're so grateful for you to be here. Um, we started talking about this project uh, in February of 2020. Yeah. Uh, we met in a coffee shop there in Colorado Springs yeah. and started talking about the idea of trying to write a book for the sake of pastors, trying to update some old Barna research. Yeah. And uh, just tell us a little bit more about kind of when it, what went into your decision making <laughs> to do this project. Well, I have tremendous respect for Barna and the work that you and the team do. And so the opportunity to talk, do some research about the challenges that pastors are facing the changing world sounded like a great thing to do. Uh, little did I know, little did you know, that a couple of weeks later a pandemic would break out and all of a sudden these, these questions and these challenges actually became more urgent. The goal was sort of to pair Barna's data and insight with wisdom from church history, from scripture, and to kind of match, you know, theology with some of this research and insight that we're learning from you guys. Yeah, well, one of the cool things about this book is that we've got a ton of new research in it able to partner with you. You actually went out and did some focus groups, mm -hmm. talked to leaders mm -hmm. uh, in the States and, and around the world. And yeah. so we want to talk a little bit about some of the research that went into this. And uh, again, as a researcher and as someone who's trying to help you as leaders be more resilient, uh, I think the study is actually pretty groundbreaking. So give us a sense yeah. of what we learned in the research. Well, we, I outlined the book with eight challenges, four for the pastor and four for the church, and we shaped the research around it. I got to work with the team there at Barna, and the challenges for pastors are over here. Challenge number one, vocation. What are pastors called to do? And then the challenge of spirituality. How do pastors actually cultivate a deeper life with God? Then the challenge of relationships. How do pastors actually have and develop meaningful relationships? And then the challenge of, of credibility. You know, how do pastors become trustworthy in a disillusioned world? All right, so those are four challenges that really relate to pastors. Yeah. And then you broke the project up into sort of a other set of challenges related to the church. Yeah, so the four for the church are, first of all, the challenge of worship. Why do we gather? How do we gather? Why does it matter? I mean, that's a big question we're all wrestling with now. The challenge of formation. How does the church actually make disciples? And then the challenge of unity. Like, how does the church preserve unity? And then finally, the challenge of mission. What is the, the church actually called to do and to be in the world? Uh, I always just like to stand back and just admire the infographics as well. And so you look at just this pinwheel chart. It's uh, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful data is beautiful to me. Yeah. Uh, so out of all the study, I mean, there's lots of, of findings. Again, I'm so proud of the way you've uh, sort of developed this project. The, the, the book, uh, some of the early readers are just like, 
raving about it. That's a, a good a, a good thing to have. And uh, so what stood out to you about the research? Anything in particular? There's a few things, and I want to just talk about a couple of them. The first thing here was about pastors' vocational confidence. You know, we've heard about the stat of pastors wanting to quit ministry, but here's a, a, approaching that question from a slightly different angle. Um, and you look at 2015 and 2020, basically pastor, more pastors are less confident of their calling and fewer pastors are actually more confident of their calling. And say, so say that again. More pastors are less confident of their calling now than when they first began and fewer pastors are more confident of their calling. Mm -hmm which means that the challenges of the last couple of years have really shaken our sense of vocation, our sense of call from God. Yeah, we've seen this in other research too. This percentage, 38% of pastors say yeah. they've given real and serious consideration to quitting. So in, in the face of those headwinds, that's where we really wanted to have this, this sense of a, a message about resilient yeah. pastoring. Um, you know, really, like, like we started talking about this before we knew there was a pandemic right. around the corner. Right. Uh, we really feel like the Lord led us to work on this project together, especially in light of some of these stats. It's, it's a really, really concerning thing. And then the other one that stood out to me is how lonely pastors feel. So here's pastor's support system this year. How often have you felt isolated from others? And you can see that number rises pretty high. 73% said sometimes or frequently. And then lonely, we've got 60% of pastors who are saying that, that that's how they feel, lonely. And isolated from others. Yeah. So as we think about what to do with all this, I mean, again, our mission at Barn is to try to come alongside you as leaders to understand the times, to understand yourselves, to think about how do we measure what matters in our church and our ministry and our leadership, uh, being uh, on mission with Jesus now to be resilient. Uh, what are some ways forward for us? Well, when I think about resilience, I think about the idea of how well you recover from a situation of stress. When you go to the doctor for a stress test, they put you on the treadmill, get your heart rate up. The idea is not that your body doesn't experience distress, but really how quickly do you recalibrate? And to me, that's, that's the idea of resilience. It's what the scriptures refer to as endurance or perseverance and uh, being steadfast. So again, if you're a pastor out there and you've experienced some turbulence, hey, we're all in this together. We all have. Uh, really what we're trying to help you with is how do you recalibrate? And so uh, the first thing I think of when I think of recalibrating my own heart is how do we renew our love for Jesus? And it, that may sound like the Sunday school answer, David, but the truth is Jesus is the one who started this all for us. And I think about Peter, you know, after the turbulence of the crucifixion and denying Christ and all of that, Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, do you love me? And there's a sense in which for all of us, we gotta return to that question, not do you love the church, do you love the ministry, but really, how's your love for Jesus doing? Yeah, how have you seen that show up in your own life in the last couple of years? You know, it's been such an important thing for me to be able to get time away and time alone. Uh, about half the pastors that we studied in this, for the research for this book, and even some of the pastors in the focus groups that I uh, uh, had conversations with, about half of them have regular, extended alone time, solitude and silence with Jesus. And that might sound like just one spiritual practice, but actually I think that's a powerful way of stepping away. It's not just daily prayer or daily Bible reading, but extended time away to say, Jesus, remind me again that you, you're the one that's called me into this. Yeah, and so what else? What are some other ways that we could be thinking about resilient leadership? in these times. The second thing that stands out to me is having the right relationships around us. Now, pastors, this is relational work. We're always interacting with people, but there's a 
bit of an illusion here because most of the time, our relationships are asymmetrical. There's a power differential there. It's your elders or your staff or people that you're counseling. And then not only are they asymmetrical, but they're non-reciprocal. We're the ones oftentimes initiating the dinner or, or having people over to our home. So because of that, we've got to think about, are there ways that we can have genuine, um, mutual and reciprocal friendships in our lives? Yeah. Uh, so, in terms of other aspects of in terms of other aspects of resilient leadership, uh, do you have other suggestions for us as uh, as leaders? You know, I go back over and over again to the hope of resurrection. Um, Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, the church that itself had been through a number of storms, he concludes his first letter by talking to them about Jesus. You know, being having been raised from the dead, and if Jesus is risen, then our faith is not in vain, our preaching is not in vain, and he closes by saying, "Our labor." is not in vain. And sometimes I think for all of us as pastors, we've just got to zoom out and have a wider lens, a wider perspective on our work and our ministry. So this isn't just about what we can accomplish in the next few years, but it's about what Jesus is doing, has been doing throughout the church's story for centuries. Well, we're so excited to be able to partner with you on this book. Again, I think the, the book project, uh, The Resilient Pastor, is, uh, is gonna really shape a lot of important conversations over these coming years. And um, uh, any final words of encouragement that you wanna be able to give to, uh, to, to viewers, to, to leaders? You know, David, one of the benefits of, of your work and what Barna does is to help pastors understand that they're not alone. They're not the only one facing these challenges. These aren't just statistics or numbers. There's stories behind these numbers. And maybe you find your own story in there. So there's a, there's a comfort in kind of knowing you're not alone. And then secondly, our hope with this project is to just help you name the complexity. There may not be an easy solution, but there's at least a way to say, okay, I can kind of name some of the layers of these challenges that you've been facing. And then maybe the, the, the final thing that I think about, I think about John Wesley's final words, his last words on his deathbed. He said, the best thing is, best of all, God is with us. And for me, that's a reason for hope. God has been with the church for 2,000 years. Our reason for hope is, best of all, God is with us. Yeah, well, there could be no more important thing than to, to stay grounded on that. Yeah. So uh, the project is called The Resilient Pastor, and uh, we're just so honored to work with you. We feel like God has, for such a time as this, sort of ordained this partnership. And again, this idea of a conversation we were having uh, more than two years ago about the possibility of this book is you know, now releasing at this moment when more than ever we need resilient leaders. So over the coming months, you'll be able to, uh, to sign up for the podcast. Yes. The, Resil the Resilient Pastor Podcast, yep, it's live yeah. now. And, uh, and then we'll also have uh, some events around the country to try to help convene leaders, to encourage you, to, to remind you you're not crazy, you're not alone. Uh, and then also to be able to, we're doing a thing called the Resilient Pastor Cohort, so you can yes. stay tuned for some information about that. But our mission at Barna, uh, along with, with, uh, with Glenn here, is to be able to help you lead in these complex times, and it's just such a privilege to be able to do that. So thanks again for joining us, Glenn. Thank you so much, David. Great to be with you. Of course, thanks for being here. Well, Glenn and David, thank you so much for those thoughts. Uh, that is something really close to my heart, and I think it's really important uh, that we guard our health. So you can visit stateofyourchurch.com to hear an extended interview that Nona Jones did with Glenn and to get the new report on the state of your church along with a ton of other resources. So that's just stateofyourchurch.com. And I'm here with Andy Stanley, one and only Andy Stanley, founding pastor of North Point Church and North Point Ministries. Andy, it's good to be with you. It's always good to be with you, Carrie. So the theme of this webcast has been measuring what matters in ministry. And over the last two years, 
you know, all of our metrics have just been thrown out the window, the yep. stuff we counted on for decades, we can't count on. In your opinion, what do you think pastors should be measuring as we look to the future? And maybe even what do you have your eye on? Um, well, you know, there, there's just the basic stuff. I, I don't know any of that has changed in terms of right. just the blocking and tackling of church. I mean, for us, we reopened late as everybody seems to know and has continues to make fun of us for, which is fine. Um, but when we came back in, we found ourselves more um, attuned to families, um, uh, not spending a lot of time trying to get people who were hesitant to come back to come back, but to focus on the people who are walking through the doors. And it's kind of the same stuff. It's, it's reaching unchurched people, being attuned to who's walking through the doors, what do they need, what can we do for them? So uh, I don't know in terms of what we're measuring anything has change significantly. Maybe it should. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. In fact, I, mean, you ha I think you have a theory about this. Well, we were talking ahead of time. I, a little theory, but again, I haven't been in the lead pastor seat, which you are still in but for that a few mean, years. That, but that means you're a consultant and a professional. A professional. <laughs> so I just give my opinion <laughs> and fly right. home. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think about it because I think even, you know, when I was a pastor, I was used to seeing things sort of move in a progress direction. Um, but we also had a real reset. Mm -hmm. I remember in 2009, after we launched Connexus, uh, I grew the church from about 1,000 down to about 400 just mm -hmm. through my I skillful that. preaching. We were so happy to be connected with you. <laughs> That's yeah. right. At that time, you were yeah. like, yeah, we don't Come have a partner. Tell us how you did it, I think, is what we said. <laughs> we, we don't have a partner in Canada, yeah. just if anyone's asking. Yeah. But it was one of those things where, you know, we left an almost paid-for building that was beautiful and yeah. brand new and went into theaters and really got serious about reaching the unchurched. And I think there almost came a moment where I'm like, we can't worry about the people who left. They're not coming back. And we just have to focus on the people who are here. And what I did and was... And the people you're reaching. And the people because we're reaching. Because for you, that was a major shift. It's why, it's why you declined. It was a purposeful, mission-driven decline. It was. It was totally supposed to be a mission-driven decline. I'm sure I exacerbated it a little bit through something I did or didn't do right. But, you know, and then... I, I just said, we got to focus on who's here, not worry about the people who have left, mm -hmm. and just look to the future. And I gave a bunch of calls out to people saying, look, if this church isn't exciting enough to invite your friends to, then, you know, we shouldn't be in existence. And mm -hmm. that grew from that handful or several hundred people to what became a church of three or 4,000 um, by the time I left the lead pastor role and about 1,500 on the weekend. And so we grew it back, but it wasn't by getting people back. It was by focusing on who was in the room. Another metric that's really interesting, I used to get a report all the time. I was talking to Scott Sauls about it in between, you know, moments in this, this webinar. Uh, but it was five categories of giving. New givers, people who would increase their giving, people who were just stable in their giving, slight decline, and then stopped giving. And the stories were always on the margins. People who were new, and I'll bet, you know, at North Point, you have new givers that you never had mm -hmm. before. You've got people who've increased their giving, which is probably a sign of devotion. You've also got people who have fallen off, which you would think, oh, they just don't like us anymore. But what I discovered when someone made a phone call is that often there was some life situation, someone got laid off, yep. or a child had some needs that, that needed financial attention. There was almost a pastoral story. And then even for the final column, the people who were leaving, you know, there was that. And then I would also track uh, new baptisms and new people who are taking steps. So new people, uh, so maybe the number's smaller. So you're saying these are the things that you measured then that you think we, we will probably just always I don't continue know. to that, measure. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, in fact, this morning, you know, Joel Thomas, who just yeah, came yeah. back to take Buckhead Church, 
Um, he did a similar thing in, in Gilbert at the church he was pastoring before he came back to work for us. In fact, we had the discussion this morning about, because um, when people stop giving, there's always this sensitivity. You don't want them to think, oh no, we're just after your money and they haven't heard from us in any other capacity and suddenly they stop giving and they get a phone call. That's just weird, yeah. right? And he talked, he said exactly what you said. He said, we found a way to connect with those people and it became very pastoral for your, the very th reasons you gave. There'd been a life change. They've not, uh, we don't know about it. Uh, uh -huh. Or the people who are in their small group haven't contacted the church because they're engaged with that family. But the church hasn't officially engaged because we don't know. He said in many of those conversations or those phone calls resulted in pastoral moments. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And so, yeah, that's a, that's an awkward call to make, but it's, it's part of what the church does and it's part of staying engaged with people. We were at another event recently together and I heard you say something that, that I've heard you say many times over the years, but it just fell like fresh information. But you talked about, okay, so North Point hasn't been immune from people who aren't coming back. The room is not as full as it used to be. But you talked about, okay, look at the fundamentals here. We have money in the bank. We have empty seats at optimal times. Mm -hmm. And I thought, boy, that is a very different perspective than focusing on who's not here. Do you want to talk about the importance of empty seats at optimal times yeah. to church growth? Yeah. Um, I, again, I, right before I came to have this conversation, I met with 30 new staff. And um, this is one of the things that we talked about. They, uh, I, I said to them, hey, you've come to work for us at an extraordinary time because it's ideal. We have yeah. space. We have financial resources, we have people resources, the mission's the same, and um, it's never been easier to attend one of our local churches. And so, you know, it's like God said, Here, here's, you know, here's all these resources, you know, what are you gonna do to build my kingdom? So, um, of course we want people to come back, and sure. people who are gonna come back, they're gonna come back. But in terms of uh, energy around, I mean, there's no point trying to talk adults into coming back to church, right? They, they know where we are. They're in group and many of them continue to give. So for us, um, in terms of reaching unchurched people or re-engaging people who've you know, been away from the church for years, we feel like we're in the, per we have, you know, the opportunities have never been better. And, and again, every, there's no one size fits all when it comes to church or church strategies, you know that. But in our particular communities in the Atlanta area where we are, the, the density, the populations have increased in some cases significantly. In fact, you, we were just talking to you, you know, 15 years ago when you came to where we are right now because yeah. we're right next door to North Point Community Church. I mean, it's like a different, if, if you dropped in from 10 years ago, or if you, if you dropped in and hadn't been here in 10 years, you wouldn't even know where you were. No, so in multiple, in most of our communities, the density has increased, the people have come to us. And we don't, we have no excuse. I mean, goodness, I feel like we're more, purpose, more purposeful and more on mission than ever before with fewer excuses than ever before. And yeah. the pandemic um, was, you know, difficult. I mean, we lost families. We lost people through the, all the political turmoil as well. But in terms of opportunities to re, un, reach unchurched people, it's never been better. I've never been more excited. And so back to your original question in terms of what we measure, um, it's going to, you know, fall in that big bucket of measuring things strategically in light of what we are there to do. So we may have partially answered this question already because I love the, the angle you're looking at empty seats with, empty seats at optimal times, right? But Barna data has revealed that 38% of pastors have seriously considered leaving full-time ministry, not just their church, but like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm gonna go sell insurance or something like that. 
What would you say to pastors who are watching this who are saying, Andy, I love that, but I'm still really discouraged? Well, <laughs> you know, I'm a preacher's kid. I think preacher's kids sometimes have a little bit different perspective. Um, pastoring church work is difficult. It's Groundhog Day. It's, you know, it's Christmas and then it's Easter and then it's summer and then it's Christmas and then it's <laughs> Easter and summer and then there's Sunday, 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 Sunday. So if you don't love this and if you aren't experiencing some kind of encouragement in terms of, of life change or something that says, oh, I, you know, I'm what, what God called me to do, I'm seeing it happen. It can be extremely discouraging. Mm. So I say to pastors, you know, when we have these conversations, look, don't, you know, if you feel like you need to get out, get out, but don't give up and don't, and, and, and maybe it's a not for, it's, you know, it's a not for now, but not forever, not for now, but not forever. Hey, take a break. This doesn't mean you're abandoning your calling. It means you're being redeployed somewhere else, mm. but don't, don't close the door on pastoring and don't close the door on ministry. But if you need a break, figure out a way to get out because if you stay in too long, you just get cynical, you get critical, you get negative. And if you stay in too long, you run the risk of losing, not just your passion for ministry, you run the risk of losing your faith. Right, and you, we've, we've seen that. Uh -huh. So don't stay in this so long that you lose your faith or that your kids do or that you lose your marriage because, hey, I don't know what else I'm gonna do. So I have, I've never been critical of pastors or not even just pastors, people who have vocational ministers of any sort in any level in a church who've said, you know what, I gotta get out. It's like, get out. You're not being unfaithful to God. You're being faithful to your health. You're being faithful to your family. You're being faithful to your sanity. And you're not out of the ministry. You're just not working at a church and that's okay. But don't close the door permanently in your mind or heart about your involvement in the local church because new seasons bring new energy and new opportunities. So that's, you know. It's another fresh take. Personal question. Why haven't you quit? You've been at this for a while. Yeah. Um, gosh, I don't want to quit. I, the, I, and I, I, I yeah. shared this with the group we were with last week. And I'm not making this up. If Sandra were here, she would tell you, I have never been more excited about Sunday morning. Wow. I, I, I just, um, I love preaching as much as I've ever loved it. I've loved preparation. I love showing up. And it's interesting because there are fewer people. We were running about 60% of where we were in 2019. Um, and that, that just doesn't bother me. And it's not because I'm so mature and so spiritual. I think I just love church and because you know we quit meeting you know person you know in person for so long I missed it I love being back I again I feel like we have more opportunity than ever and the people who are there are so I feel like they're more missional and more missionally engaged because the people that quit coming were you know the people that were probably coming once a month or you know every once in a while anyway maybe I don't know that for sure uh -huh. So I feel like the people who are there, there's more energy and more excitement. And we, again, like anyone who paid attention to what happened in 2020, we learned so many things organizationally. Um, we learned so many things in terms of how to do some things more efficiently, better. And we're bringing all that new learning into what we're doing now. And I, I've never been more excited or more energized. So I don't want to quit. I think one of the first books I ever read that you wrote was Next Generation Leader. You've been passionate about next generation leaders for a long time. What do you think, if anything, the pandemic has done to the next generation of leaders as you look around at sort of that younger generation at North Point? First and church around, leaders? Yeah, church leaders. Well, um, here's just, just in our church context specifically, 
what they saw, and again, I just, my meeting right before this one, I was with these 30 new employees. Most of them are, it's their first real job. You know, we kind of sure. went around there, which is so interesting. They're right out of college or graduate school. Or we have a residence program. They're right out of seminary. And the ones that tracked with us, you know, that came in early enough in 2019 to say, oh, here's how it's normally done, then experienced the transition into the pandemic and now have experienced the transition back into, you know, meeting on a regular basis. What they experienced is, and, and this makes me very proud of our organization, is that we truly are mission driven. We are not program driven. I say all the time, marry, you know, marry the, the mission, date the model, date the model, marry the mission. Well, when we decided not to meet in person, we, we were nimble enough and redeployed our resources and our staff to do extraordinary ministry in the community and went digital so quickly. I mean, we transitioned so quickly. And then when we began to slowly open up to transition back, but carry some of that digital learning, what it said to that generation, which is what they need to know, is we're not stuck in our old ways. Hmm. If you work in an organization for two years, it's tempting to say, oh, they're never gonna change. If you work in an organization 10 years, you experience some of that change. So what it did is it compressed this timeline and it said to them, wow, the, you know, the leader may be older, but this is an, a nimble organization. They turned on a dime really almost overnight. Right. We did not, our church was not closed. Goodness, we did more things in some capacity than we've ever done before. And so transitioning to digital with community impact, transitioning back to live with community impact, digital to, to live, it was, you know, it was a lot of change, but it was because, you know, our mission wasn't to have a Sunday morning service with people shoulder to shoulder in room. That's not our mission. That's a model. And we were able to abandon that part of the model for the sake of staying on mission during the pandemic. So for Millennials, we're all kind of tired of that word. You know, for the 30-year-olds and, and especially the 20-year-olds, it was, it was like this, then it was this, then we're back to this. So I think there was a sense of this is not an organization that is married to the model because we pretty much put our entire Sunday model on hold in order to transition to something that was mission-centered. So I think that was a, a great experience for a lot of them. And I came out of that encouraged that our organization really is mission driven rather than, oh, we, oh, no, we can't work our model. So we're paralyzed until, you know, the pandemic's over. Or we can get back in the building. And I'm not being critical at all of churches that, you know, reopened way earlier than us. Again, every community is different. Every city is different. Um, so but that was, you know, that was our experience. And, and I, too, Carrie, I think that's one reason I've come out of this more excited about our local churches and pastoring because it was a whirlwind of change and I love change and it just made me proud of our local churches. Andy, it's always great. This has been super, super helpful. Well, I'm Thank sorry you I so took much. so long to answer your no, question. So this is great. Thanks for helping us think through this. And uh, Nona, I'm going to throw it back to you to close us out. Thanks, Carrie and Andy, for that rich conversation. And thanks again for joining us for the State of Your Church webcast. On behalf of Barna and our partner, Glue, I just want to say to the pastors and leaders, listen, we are with you. We are for you. We are praying for you and we are cheering you on. All of the work we do across all our organizations and ministries is designed to serve you and help you fulfill your calling 
to make disciples that impact the world for Jesus. That's the heart behind the resources we're offering to you today. The free Church Pulse Assessment and Barna Access Plus. The Church Pulse will help you measure what matters. A subscription to Barna Access Plus will help you know what matters. The Barna team has also put together a brand new report that you can get on Barna Access Plus. We're offering a special discount, SOYC 30. I wanna leave you with this closing charge. Matthew chapter four, verse 19, as Jesus is recruiting and onboarding the disciples, he says to them, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for men. If the last two years has taught us anything, it's that we can no longer be keepers of aquariums. We have to return to the call to make disciples. So thank you once again for joining. God bless you.